for Yellowstone National Park and the Acoustic Atlas at Montana State University. This is telemetry. Test, test, one, two, three. We are live. This is Dan Staler, and I swear Dan Staler practically has fur in his blood. He studies wolves and elk. He's the endangered species coordinator for Yellowstone National Park. And he's the project lead for Yellowstone's research on mountain lions, also called pumas or cougars. And last year, Dan and his team had a cougar mystery to solve. All right, good morning. It's January 28th. Dan Staler, Colby Anton, Nathan Varley, heading on into the Black Canyon of the Yellowstone to go investigate on our only cougar collared right now, M198, three-year-old male. We're gonna go check out and see what we see. First, a little background here on M198. The M stands for male and 198 is his identifying number. M198's collar that Dan was talking about is very, very high tech sort of Fitbits, if you will, for cougars. One of the things those callers can do is communicate with a satellite system to record the cat's location on the landscape every three hours. Dan could log in on a computer, look at all those location points, and see where M198 had been. We use those points to identify clusters on the landscape where he spent time, and usually about a week after he was in that area, we'd go investigate. Investigating the places where cougars have spent time turns out to be incredibly valuable. And it's a little like a crime scene investigation that you see on TV. Dan and his team can comb the area for DNA, like hair and scat, to help identify individual cats, like how many are out there and who's who. This non-invasive technique of getting at the demographics of a cougar population is a powerful tool for studying such secretive animals. Or let's say a cougar made a kill in that spot. And if so, was it a deer or an elk or a marmot? How old was the animal? Was it healthy? How many animals did the cougar kill over a given period of time? These things tell scientists a lot about the food habits of cougars like M198 and what their impacts might be on populations of prey species like deer or elk. We found where he had killed an adult cow elk. It was the only animal he fed on for about uh, 20 some odd days. And that's kind of typical of a male cougar. Uh, they can go a long time without feeding. They'll make a, a, a kill, feed on it, and then do their other cougar things and roam around. Now, if the cat stops roaming around, if it stops moving altogether, then the caller sends Dan an alert. For M198, that alert meant that either the caller came off somehow or it stopped moving because M198 was probably dead. And Dan and Colby and Nathan needed to figure that out. The problem was that the caller suddenly stopped transmitting GPS locations. So finding it was going to take a little work. Colby, it's too bad we didn't have a little more recent track on him. He's either down low or he's tucked in a rock up in the boulder field, which let's hope isn't the case. Who knows, Colby, we might get lucky. Let's just say that they didn't get lucky. M198 had made his way into what Dan calls the promontory. It's this gnarly boulder field with rocks the size of cars. Lots of spots a little kitty could tuck away in here. This explains why Dan and his team were unable to get GPS coordinates from M198's collar. There was no way a collar could communicate with the satellites in outer space through that huge pile of rocks. But those collars also come equipped with radio telemetry. And because the radio beacon transmits its signal directly to Dan's handheld receiver, he could use that to zero in on M198. 
And the way that works, the closer Dan gets to the collar, the louder the blips, the radio signal. Okay, we're, get, we're getting closer, guys. It's kind of a fun process because you're trying to th read the signal but think about what the, c the cat would do, where how he would move through here. I just, I don't know. They are cats, so they do amazing things. So it'd be, it'd be nothing, nothing for him to bounce through this boulder field. But you would think he would want to take a path that was a little more uh, easy on him. Oh, oh. Okay, I think I see some uh, blood up ahead. I don't, I don't know for sure. Yeah, I see uh, where birds or something have pecked that blood in the snow. A lot of tracks. Clicking in real nice now on the telemetry. It's interesting, something dramatic went on here because there's, there's blood all over the rocks. Look at the stain on that lichen right there. I mean, that's pretty. Oh yeah, a bunch of cat hair stuck to the rock. Um, wow, there's caves all over the place here. Oh wow, there's blood way down. Holy smokes. He might be way down in here, guys. Uh, this is a pretty, uh, whoa. I'm okay. A little spelunking. I didn't think I'd be doing this today. Let's hope he's actually dead and not a wounded cat that's not happy to see me. Twenty feet under the earth, tracking a bloody cat. Dan and Nathan started to piece together a story of what might have happened to M198. I know. Get pinned in there by a bigger cat. By a bigger cat, maybe. In there and they're fighting. Yeah. That's nasty. That's how toms <laughs> die often. Lions are lions, man. They're just so powerful. Mm -hmm. And you know, he's a three-year-old Tom. He was probably trying to establish himself in here and all it takes is one bigger Tom to say, uh-uh. And we'll, we'll know, we'll see. I think we'll see. You know, they crunch the skull when they kill each other. So yeah, we'll see. I think we'll see it in his head. Well, and, you know, he's got an accelerometer collar so we can look at the activity, you know. We can look at the movements. We can, we can might even see signs of a chase once we get the data back from it. Like he ran over here and this is where yeah. I caught up to him and mm -hmm. pinned him in the rocks. Mm -hmm. That would be pretty interesting, wouldn't it? Yep. That'd be really interesting. How about that? What are the energetics of a cougar fight? <laughs> okay, this is where the idea of the cougar Fitbit really comes in. Scientists can use the information from accelerometer collars to understand a lot more about animal behavior and energetics, basically how much energy it takes for an animal to live its life. This is pretty cutting-edge stuff. So our ability to study carnivores like cougars is, is uh, changing all the time. We take advantage of new technologies uh, um, that become available. And those of us that have iPhones or Fitbits or any activity exercise monitoring machine um, uh, may have heard the term accelerometer because they're all built into these devices. These collars have built-in accelerometers that continuously measure 
um, the neck position of the cat wearing the collar. And so when the animal is walking or resting or pouncing on prey, it will record a specific type of an activity pattern in the collar. This data has been calibrated with captive animals, captive cougars wearing collars, on a treadmill, uh, jumping and pouncing on a training course, measuring how much oxygen they're consuming, and that translates into calories burned. Calories in, calories burned. This is the basis of energetics. Dan is collaborating with Colby Anton, a PhD candidate at UC Santa Cruz, on the energetics research. Dan says that they'll be able to link the data from the captive cougars to the wild cougars in Yellowstone. And biologists in the park have these same collars on wolves. So we can compare the energetics of a stalking carnivore that lives mostly by itself, the cougar, compared to a group living carnivore that chases after its prey, the wolf, and can see different patterns in their energetics that might have been shaped through evolution, might be shaped through current environmental conditions. Understanding how these animals respond to environmental conditions, how they survive, what they eat, where they go, how they affect each other and their prey, all of this goes beyond just understanding cougars or wolves. It's really about understanding uh, how the ecosystem works. So, you know, I think those of us working with these animals don't consider ourselves a wolf biologist or a cougar biologist or an elk biologist. So, you know, we're ecologists trying to understand the pieces uh, that make this ecosystem uh, function the way it does. Um, really, I think what we're trying to do is understand Yellowstone, its importance to the world, its importance to science and to um, nature uh, through the lens uh, of wolves and cougars and elk. And so these collars uh, have opened up that world uh, in a much more accurate way. And because they want to interfere with the lives of wild cougars as little as possible, Dan and Colby only fit a couple of cats with those collars which made M198s even more important to get back. Okay, I'm gonna to listen to the telemetry and see, we should be just... It's 12.07, don't tell me that beacon turned off. That should not have shut off. I don't hear it, Colby. Despite continuing their search through the caverns without the signal, Dan and Colby and Nathan could not find the cat. That pisses me off. I just like, I, I hate leaving here not with this cat. I know. And knowing the end of the story. Damn it, Colby. Another typical day in the world of wildlife biology. Most scientists will tell you that dealing with frustration and overcoming setbacks is something that they get comfortable with pretty quickly. In fact, Dan tells me that just a few days later, they were back in that boulder field. And that's what we did. We went back into the area. Uh, it was another frustrating search. It's so interesting. We're like at the site, but we can't quite find them. That's just me moving some rock. And then there was one little spot where I noticed some hair stuck to the top of the rock, a little bit of blood, and it was just another little slit in the rock that um, I wasn't able to catch before. I guess I could probably squeeze in there. It's a little tight. But I spotted it. I was able to squeeze through it. Uh, I'm going a little bit to the right. Ouch. And I looked down with the headlamp. Definitely not moving. <sighs> you down through here? Yeah. 
So here I am down in the lion's den with M198. Uh, he's dead. He's uh, crawled down in and he's laying on his side. Um, I can see blood all over him, dried blood. And uh, hard to totally say what happened here, but it does look like he's been attacked. Uh, he must have been beat up pretty good to come down here like that. Ah, oh, bummer. Hard to lose a cat like that. First one of a study. But we certainly will learn something about him from this event too. So, the very first Yellowstone Cougar to contribute accelerometer data to the study. But maybe what's even cooler is that he's only one of two wild cougars in North America to have his entire genome sequenced. And this has implications for big cat research worldwide. Back in his office, Dan talked about the death of M198. The necropsy revealed that the cat was indeed killed by another cougar. It was the first one. It was very discouraging, but at the same time, um, you know, you appreciate the wildness of Yellowstone and, and, and the lives that these animals live. Uh, there are relatively few places um, where you can understand uh, how these carnivores coexist, compete, interact, and what those impacts may be on prey, scavengers, or, or each other. And you know, Yellowstone is pretty special that way. Thanks to focused efforts of native species restoration, the park is more carnivore-rich today than it's been in over 100 years. Dan says that ecologically, this is great news because carnivores like cougars have a critical role to play. Cougars, um, you know, like other top carnivores, um, uh, through the act of predation, which is a powerful ecological force, they have the capacity to shape uh, and structure ecosystems. But from a human dimension standpoint, things are still a little thorny when it comes to these top predators. If you look at carnivores in particular, um, they have a history of persecution here, of eradication. Where do you think that comes from? Um, we have a long evolutionary history with carnivores. Um, our ancestors competed with them for space, uh, for food, um, and so it's probably very much built into our brains, uh, and it's, it's hard to shed that baggage that probably shaped over you know, eons of time. But even today, there still are challenges of living with carnivores. If you raise livestock, um, carnivores can be a threat to your way of life. Uh, if you're a hunter, uh, you might find that carnivores compete with you for areas uh, on the landscape that you like to hunt. Um, and uh, for others, they embrace the fact that we live in a place today where we can hunt and recreate and do things and, and still be in a place uh, where there are carnivores. I certainly feel that way living here uh, at the gateway to Yellowstone in Gardner, Montana. Uh, it's, it's a privilege to be able to live in a place, I think, uh, where um, we have so much. It's a place where natural processes, like a cougar fight to the death, still play out. And although it was hard to lose him, the ghost of M198 lives on inside the larger context of what we know about cougars in Yellowstone. M198 had a story to tell, but there are other cats on this landscape, and they have their own stories. 
finished picking up M198 and then we're on our way back and we have uh, tracks of at least mom and one or two probably big kittens or yearlings and we're looking in the snow here and you can see where the, the young ones are romping and chasing each other and Colby found a good bed site here with some nice clumps of hair so he's taking his uh, forceps and collecting the hairs and putting them in a sample envelope for genotyping the DNA of one of these little buggers. <laughs> So we're just leaving the site where Colby got some uh, hair and lo and behold a nice fresh scat. One of the one of the yearlings probably where they're goofing around in here. Another quality DNA sample. So we'll collect this too. For Yellowstone National Park, I'm Jennifer Jarrett. This podcast is supported in part by Yellowstone Forever and the Eyes on Yellowstone program. Eyes on Yellowstone is made possible by Canon USA. This program represents the largest corporate donation for wildlife conservation in the park. This is Telemetry. Thanks for listening.